with Feel Good Music by Day, relaxing music by night. This is Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired. Welcome to the Inspire Radio podcast. This podcast is an opportunity to listen again to one of the many inspirational and thought-provoking interviews first broadcast on Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio brings you inspirational interviews, news of events, workshops and seminars, plus great music too. Online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Inspire Radio is your truly feel-good radio station. For more information and to listen to Inspire Radio, why don't you check out inspireradio.co.uk. Check out our Facebook page too, where we've got details of events on there. Our Facebook page is at Inspire Radio UK. Now sit back and enjoy this Inspire Radio podcast. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome to Inspired Conversations with me, Ruth Owen. Today my guest is Kate Hesk. Now, she co-founded and is a director of a company called Cognomi, which helps large organizations build a foundation of mental fitness and well-being for employees. It helps not only the individual, but also team performance. So welcome to Kate Hesk. Thank you, Ruth. It's a delight to be here with you. Well, it's great that you could join us today. So I'd like you to explain the system that you have created. How does that help large organizations and why is it different? It's all focused around mental fitness, as you mentioned already. And our definition and therefore the model that we've built for mental fitness very much focuses on mental fitness being a promoter of mental health, a recognition that as individuals within organizations, but also within our general way of living, if we're able to identify how our thoughts and thought processes are working for us, if we're able to recognize where our emotions are helping us, and therefore how we can develop our capacity to manage our own thought processes, managing our own emotions, and do this in a way that helps us engage more productively with the world around us, then we can be happier individuals, we can work more at our best, we can therefore perform more in the roles that we're playing in work and out of work. And therefore, from an organisational point of view, we can help people be at their best and, and deliver their best work. So what we offer is based around a model. We have a survey tool which generates a report so that an individual can have insight into their own mental fitness and also can work with a coach to help them think about setting some goals around development of the mental fitness. So the report is generated, the coach works with the individual at an individual level and confidentially. So the report is only available for the conversation between the coach and the individual client. But what we do for an organisation is we consolidate data from a number of individuals that might be working with coaches across an organization at any one time and we can therefore provide an organizational perspective on how mentally fit that organization is and we can track that over time we have a technology platform that sits around the work that uh, the coaches and the coaching clients are, are doing and will show not only the impact of the coaching but also the progression of the mental fitness so the organization can see the return on investment of their investment in the development that they've made for the individuals but they can also see how much their mental fitness across the organization is 
If you've got a, a company that employs, say, 2,000 people, how can you do one-to-one -one coaching with all of them? Or do you take a sample of the workforce and coach those individually and see the ripple effect from that? So we do both, Ruth. So um, we have a global community of coaches and practitioners who support the delivery of, of this service, let's say, and their reach and diversity and expertise and experience means that we can absolutely, as and when it's required, coach to many thousands of people. So within any organisation, we could absolutely offer coaching to each of the 2,000 employees. Inevitably, of course, organisations are thinking carefully about how they're making investments. So very often the offer will be tailored to particular areas of the organisation, maybe talent groups, maybe particular groups of managers or leaders, but also is often offered throughout an organisation to those who wish to access it. So it's because we're offering this at scale and short burst sessions of one hour each, it means it's very accessible, it's therefore affordable, it's all delivered online as well. So it can be accessible throughout an organisation and often what we recognise is that an organisation would want to pilot it in particular groups so whether they are particular uh, individuals that they're looking to develop more resilience and well-being for them whether they're offering it on a first come first serve basis actually they may have decided to purchase a number of coaching credits let's say uh, and then offer it out to individuals who would like to improve their own mental fitness or it might have a more top-down strategic input if you like so encouraging particular groups of leaders or particular functions or teams to access um, the coaching does that make sense it does make sense and it's an interesting concept that in order to improve the performance of of a company or a team that it's incumbent upon the company to make sure that the individuals are thriving first. Is that a right assessment? And why do you think it's so important to improve individual performances and strengthen their mental well-being? It's a great question. Because any shift of culture or any cultural development, let's say, starts at the level of individual. So as an organisation is looking to enhance whatever it is that they're looking to enhance, and in this example, mental fitness in whatever context related to performance, the way to do that and have the most impact is to start at the level of individuals. So enabling individuals, um, developing the capacity in individuals to be operating more at their best. Uh, which is absolutely linked to them being happy in their work, being motivated, being aware of their strengths, being able to contribute as they wish to, mm. um, because that's also very individual uh, in its in its concept. So different individuals will have a different perspective on on how they contribute and how they wish to contribute. So it's a cultural shift program very often, and the best way to shift culture is to start or certainly pay attention to that culture change at the level of individual. Of course, there's benefit in looking at broader team development programs as well. But absolutely, any cultural change will start at the level of individual. And do you find that companies differ in their aspiration and their view of their team performers in different countries? So in other words, the culture of large companies in the UK, is that different to large companies in, in America or anywhere else? Yes, I think um, there are always going to be geographical differences. 
linked to individual economies and and, uh, strategic requirements and developments within particular geographies and and regions, let's say. There is a geographical perspective. There is also difference between different organisations even working in the same geography and in the same sector because each organisation will have its own culture. Uh, And the way that that plays out is a, a recognition that there are different strategic needs. Identifying first, what's the real need here? Is this about building resilience within the organisation or the country? Is this about supporting the development of well-being through mental fitness? Is it actually about retaining people, making sure that the individuals are staying and contributing to the organisation as well as being ambassadors for the organisation, so aspects of retention? Is it about making sure that individuals are able to contribute what they wish to contribute and be as productive as they wish to be. So it might be about productivity. So yes, in very wide answer to your question, it absolutely will depend on the on the region, on the geography, on the country, hmm. but also those cultural differences are seen between organisations, and I would even say between departments and teams within organisations. So we can look at it in very many different levels and, and tiers of engagement. That's interesting. There are so many different perspectives, but tell us what the basis of mental fitness is. What would you describe mental Mental fitness as being? We describe it as the capacity to recognize our thoughts and emotions and the processes around those and to be able to develop those in order to work at our best to be as productive as we can. Um, so that requires self-awareness, that requires us to notice when we're able to recognize our own strengths, appreciate our own strengths. It requires us to know how we're managing our own emotions. So a mental fitness coach will help an individual explore that from a personal perspective Uh, and it also relates to how we interact with the world around us so my ability as an individual who's mentally fit to be able to know the impact I'm having on others to build relationships effectively to communicate well to feel fulfilled and motivated in my work is partly about what I contribute to that but also how an organization supports me in that so there's a perspective which is derived from myself if you like or my own ways of being as an individual and there's also a perspective of mental fitness that comes from the way that I engage with my environment and the way that that environment engages with me. And what is the overall view of organisations? Obviously they research and see what you do for them as an organisation before they bring you in but what is the overall view of what you bring to their organisation? What benefits do they see? It's a really good question and so timely right now because we're seeing a massive shift in that just over the last two or three months uh, with the the current COVID-19 crisis. I would say up until the end of last year, we were really trying to help organisations recognise that mental fitness relates to performance um, and that these foundations that I've described are absolutely critical for individuals to perform at their best and to be productive and to be delivering as as required within an organisation. And so that was the conversation we were having around understanding the link between mental fitness and productivity and performance so that people could operate at their highest. Over the last few months, we've seen a real shift in the type of conversations and the engagement with organisations. We're seeing organisations approaching us because they absolutely recognise they want to build the resilience in their organisations. They're wanting to work with mental fitness as a promoter of mental health. So a real sense of showing care 
into employees and into teams. So the ability to say, we care about how you're feeling. We want you to understand for yourself what you're thinking and feeling and how that's working for you. And so we're going to engage you in that. And not very much so as well at the moment because of the, the real shift to remote working as an example. So that need to work in a very different way starts very much from being able to identify as an individual how you work well in that kind of remote environment. And so a lot of organisations are engaging with us to help generate a greater sense of mental fitness, therefore well-being and happiness derived from this this current crisis that we find ourselves in. So would you say that organisations are now becoming more people-centric and there's a greater element of humanity about the business that they operate? I, I think we're seeing that already. I absolutely do. This crisis will enable that more and more. We're noticing that those who are really switched on to the need to show that more human side and invest in people and show people they care, those are the organisations where you know, people will stay loyal, will stay in the organisation, but will also continue to perform at their best and give their all to the organisation. So we are absolutely seeing a shift in it. And you know, my personal hope is that beyond this current situation, whenever it moves to a different stage, that this this aspect of, of humanity will stay and, and being very people, employee focused, if you like, or team member focused will absolutely be something that stays with us well into the future. Well, it's to be hoped, at least, isn't it? Because I think there was a definite need for a shift in focus. And I was talking the other day to somebody who, who said it's vital that companies do become more human based, more concerned with the mental and physical health of, of employees. So how would you see working in isolation for a lot of people at home where they don't get that social interaction in a place of work? How is it affecting those people that need social interaction perhaps more than others? In many different ways. So what I see, what we see is that there are different perspectives on isolation. And in that, individuals recognising actually that they can achieve social interaction in the virtual space is really important. I think the work that we do and the coaching that we offer is online and virtual coaching. So we are well experienced and, and familiar with creating connection very well through a computer and so very often whilst of course there are important considerations uh, around isolation how that's impacting individuals mental fitness there is a possibility to shift perspective and look at things a bit differently for example to embrace the fact that technology can create a certain amount of that social connection of course there are things that can't be uh, replicated in the same way as it would if you were you were in a room with somebody however there is a lot that we can do with technology so sometimes it's about the individual shifting their perspective on that and accepting that it will work well actually to connect with somebody else through the screen well yes i was going to ask people who have families at home or who care for somebody or they have animals <laughs> there's there's always something that is going on in the background and so it might be quite hard for people to concentrate as they would have done had they been in an office so yes. how do people cope with that kind of distraction it's a really good question. I think there's a lot being written at the moment and shared around Zoom overload. 
um, and that whole digital overload. And so uh, we come back to this sense of self-compassion and self-care, helping people recognize in themselves what they need to operate at their best. And it's unlikely to be that if you're on call after call after call in virtual space, you know, for eight hours a day, that you're going to be able to care for yourself and maintain that. So this is about sustaining your ability to, to perform as well. So understanding yourself, it all comes back to that, to understanding what, what do you as an individual need to care for yourself, to enable you to be able to perform when you need to perform and, and connect when you need to in the virtual space. So that's absolutely about recognising priorities, how work fits into everything else that you're trying to do, how you manage the space and the strategies for self-care around that. Um, so making space for all the great things that we know about, you know, getting fresh air, getting sunlight, getting exercise, getting brain breaks, whatever that means for individuals. And also how to manage expectations around all of that. A lot of the work that we're doing is helping people think about what's the conversation you need to and want to go and have with somebody else that helps them understand the situation that you're now operating in and what you need from them. So whether it's about going to, to a manager to express, you know, I'm, I'm working at home, but I've also got my flatmate working alongside me. So I need to be on mute when we're on a video call. Or I've also got to look after the kids and homeschool the kids. So I need to be able to keep my focus on the calls that we have between these hours, for example. So absolutely about helping someone think about what's the conversation they need to go and have in order to manage expectations. Because we can't expect people just to replicate the way they worked in an office now they're working at home. No, it's impossible. I mean, I know from my own perspective, yesterday it was such a beautiful day here that I took the afternoon off and went with the kids and we had a picnic, which was absolutely fabulous. And it's nice to be able to have that flexibility. Do you think people will actually adapt quicker to this working at home scenario because they can be flexible and are organisations willing to be that flexible? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, this has forced a number of organisations into having to accept that people can work from home. You know, uh, personally, I've worked from home and through a computer for many, many years, but I know talking to different organisations, there has been a certain amount of reticence and um, sense of concern and, and let's say mistrust about how much work would actually be done if people do work from home, how much people would be able to manage the distractions around them. And I think what we're seeing is that absolutely people can produce to the same level, let's say. They can, they can deliver the work, but they can deliver the work in a way that balances with other things that are important to them. So that real merging of what we might have considered previously as work and home life being separate they're now merging because we are working in our home environment. And I think those organisations that embrace that and appreciate that and uh, celebrate the fact that, that an employee might go off and have a picnic with their family one afternoon because they know that they're delivering to what it is that they've agreed and committed to do. It's so important. I think the risk that we're facing right now, and again, I, we've talked to a lot of people who are in this space, is actually contrary to what some organisations would think. When people are working at home, they're actually delivering more, working longer hours. You know, some people would say, oh, great, I haven't got the commute, but I'm still starting work at 6.30 when I would have been on a train uh, and I'm still finishing work at 8, 8, 8 p.m. when I would have come home again. So actually, for many people, that working day is extending. It's becoming much more intense. 
And so organisations that can encourage uh, that sense of balance and embrace that and celebrate it, I think, are, are seeing that they will be able to, to see their, their team members, their employees continue to deliver, continue to be able to be productive and not burn out or not be overwhelmed because that, that's a real potential right now. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a moment. Stay happy, stay inspired. With inspirational guests from across the world. This is Inspire Radio. Radio. Hello and welcome back to Inspired Conversations. And I'm talking to Kate Hesk about well-being and mental fitness in the workplace. So Kate, before the break, we were talking about people working at home and perhaps working harder and more concentrated than they would be in the office. Do you see this as the new norm then as we move forward, hopefully out of the pandemic eventually? Will people be more inclined to work from home in the future, do you think? I do. And the conversations we're having with organisations already reflect that. I mean, there's definitely an economic argument, isn't there, around the cost of office space as one small example, and there are many, many others. So I think economically, uh, a lot of organisations having kind of had to experience people working from home will recognise actually that there are so many benefits of doing that. I imagine it won't be you know, completely the case, of course, uh, and, and those people that need to be in an office will be in an office. I think what we're seeing and what organisations are already talking about is maybe you know, people coming in for vital meetings where they really feel they do need to be face to face and in one room, but otherwise more and more working from home. So I, I actually do hear that already. People are recognising that things will shift, even down to you know how much we're likely to travel internationally for meetings, for business. It doesn't really make sense to go halfway around the world for a couple of meetings anymore, does it? That's right. I think that's certainly the, the perspective that people are taking. And we've been forced into this in many ways, but I think it's an awakening and a and an awareness that has been ready to happen. And you work a lot with very large companies. Do you see them taking a view that they need to pare back their workforce in, in any way and become more streamlined? And if so, how do you cope as a coach with people who are perhaps facing the end of their career in a certain organisation? Yeah, it absolutely is a, is a sad consequence of this whole situation. The economics of it mean that there are people that are going to be um, leaving organisations. So uh, in the coaching context, there's a number of ways that, that the coach can support that. Um, certainly, you know, people leaving an organisation, many organisations will invest in coaching to help the individuals leave well to help them leave as ambassadors. If you've been made redundant and you feel as though the company still cares about you because they've been willing to invest in your development in a way which helps you leave the organisation well, be clear on your value even though you've been made redundant and help you think about what's the future afterwards, then you're going to leave that organisation with a much greater sense of ambassadorship, let's say, for that organisation. So there's a a real benefit in investment at that point. And then, of course, there are the people that stay behind. There can be a real sense of those people feeling guilt, actually. You might assume that if you haven't been made redundant, everything's rosy in your garden. But in fact, very often people who have working in an organisation where lots of people have been made redundant feel enormous guilt that they're the ones that are still there. Um, And so supporting them to make sense of that, to think about how they can maintain their own resilience and and develop their own performance is also another really important perspective. 
it's easy to assume that, you know, in times of restructuring, downsizing, that training and therefore to some people's minds, coaching is something that is, is a luxury. But actually, as you'd expect, we would certainly position it as, as a really important development tool to enable people to continue to perform at their best, but also to support people who inevitably are going to have to move on to new things. You know, there's a real economic argument, again, because obviously for an organisation, this comes down to how to maintain and regrow profitability. You know, organisations have seen massive reduction in their profits just in the last couple of months. You know, people going from millions of pounds of profits to nothing. Um, and so they need to think really carefully about what they do with any expenditure that they're going to make. And to be able to therefore invest in helping people stay happy, stay mentally fit, stay therefore mentally healthy and productive really enables an organisation to continue to keep generating their own profit. And there's a real sense of investing in, in the resilience on the ongoing resilience of the organisation. That's an important perspective to take. Do you think that smaller companies will be under greater pressure to, to help their employees cope? Yeah, potentially, I guess. They might have on one level more to lose. But on another level, uh, this word, lovely word pivot that everybody's using at the moment, there's a real possibility, I think, for organisations when they're smaller, when they're more agile, to be, perhaps pivot and, and to see things in a different way. You know, having, a, having a coach that can help you think about your mental fitness and talk about creating space for creativity is so important. So resilience... Part of the, the perspective of resilience is, is being able to create enough brain space to be able to think about you know, what else could we do here? You know, what, what's a creative solution? So uh, in my opinion, the smaller organisations, of course, there's a, a potential greater risk in one way for them to continue to thrive. And at the same time, that possibility to look differently at what they're doing, to diversify to some extent, requires a pause, uh, requires some space for reflection, all of which can be enabled through coaching. And from that, we can see lots of examples already of real ingenuity, you know, people thinking, okay, we used to do this, but now we can do this instead. And seizing opportunities, maintaining optimism for the future. Very easy to get bogged down in where we are now and how bad it is. But in small organisations which are more agile, maybe there's more of an opportunity for that, to develop that creativity and real optimism for what could be different in the future. That's fantastic that there's such an, an optimistic way of viewing this whole situation where everybody is affected. It's not just big organisations, it's small organisations, it's individuals as well. So how important is it to maintain that optimism that things will actually work out perhaps for the best? To maintain the possibility of it is essential. I think we see it as one of the foundations of mental fitness in the in the survey that I described at the beginning and that in the report that we generate is one of the foundations of mental fitness and optimism doesn't need to mean you know I believe that everything's going to be perfectly fine in the future because that's that's hard to imagine sometimes for, for certainly for some people but optimism is more about the potential to see an opportunity in the future the potential to stay creative the potential to see beyond kind of I have this kind of metaphor in my mind it's about looking up and looking forward as opposed to looking down and that can be created if we pause for long enough and create a container which coaching enables at an individual or a group level to notice what is possible but it, it doesn't have to mean you know I believe that everything's going to be absolutely fine because of course that's not 
necessarily realistic. But, uh, but when we're optimistic, we can see the bigger perspective. We can see reality in all its aspects uh, in order to then see uh, the potential for the future through our creativity. Well, it's interesting that you do emphasise creativity. I think that is the key, isn't it? The ability to see things from a different perspective and move in a different direction, as you were saying earlier about pivoting. So where is the future of coaching? Do you see organisations in whatever new form they take do you see coaching as being more and more vital to the health and well-being of organisations and companies? I do. I guess you'd expect me to say that. And I think, you know, coaching that's offered in a way which is aligned to the way the organisation needs to work and is streamlined, uh, is accessible, is affordable, is, is really important. So the virtual coaching space is here to stay, no doubt. And I think we're seeing a real shift in the awareness of what coaching is and could be. So 10 or 15 years ago, coaching in the in the business setting was very much, I would say, very often transactional in its nature. So very much about how do I move forward with a project? How do I get my team to do this differently? How do I operate differently in myself? Whereas nowadays, it is much more transformational in its character much more opportunity to, to enable someone to think very differently along the lines of what we were just describing. And what that also means is it, it creates a shift at a deeper level. So if, we, if an organisation embraces coaching now, it can be a, such a transformative experience, enabling someone to really understand for themselves their own drivers, their own values and beliefs, and how they use those productively or not uh, in the behaviours that they demonstrate, their competencies and the way they engage with the world around them. And so a coach will enable that awareness uh, in an individual. And I think there's a real growing acceptance that that, that space of, of supporting people around their mental fitness is absolutely here to stay, linked at the moment in many people's minds to mental fitness being a promoter of mental health, uh, mental fitness being the possibility to stay well, stay productive, stay healthy, rather than burning out or, or, or moving into mental illness. But I do, we certainly see that those organisations who are forward thinking really get this now and, and we see a real growth in the number of organisations that are, are engaging with mental fitness coaching in the virtual space as being a really important support for individuals. It's interesting that that is becoming the new standard for employers and organisations to really look after the whole well-being of each of their employees. So if an organisation decides that coaching is the way forward for them and their teams, what should they look for when they're looking for a coach? So whether they're looking for an individual coach or a, or a pool or a team of coaches, they need to be really clear on what's the objective for the coaching. Identifying, you know, is the, is the need here about building resilience? Is the need about helping team members work more effectively together? Uh, is the need about simply giving space for people to find out who they are and generate uh, more of who they want to bring to the organisation? First point is to be very clear on the objective. Because then, and the way that we would work with that at Cognomi is to identify coaches or a coach who will be able to work effectively in that way because they either have the appropriate experience, expertise, training, accreditation to enable them to deliver resilience coaching or to work to help someone think about their team involvement and development. So, so the strategic objective is absolutely key to this. So when we're working with an organisation, we spend time to consult with them to help them think about, you know, what do they really want to get out of this? What is this going to help them achieve in line with their strategic aims? And then from there, we would build a pool of coaches, or if you're looking for an individual coach, you can then start a matching process, which 
which says, you know, which coach offers or which pool of coaches offer what the organisation requires. And then you take that down to an individual level. So as you identify the individuals across the organisation who are going to receive the coaching or benefit from the coaching, they share their own profile in terms of the qualities that they're looking for in the coach, as well as the expertise, experience, um, you know, even coming down to demographics, age, gender, uh, language spoken. And then, you know, through our technology platform, we can match those very clearly and closely with a coach or a practitioner who can deliver what's required there. The chemistry is so important. I'm going to talk about that because there has to be quite a high level of trust, doesn't there, between the coach and the recipient? Yes, most definitely. We talked just now about, you know, conversations becoming much more transformational than transactional. And that absolutely absolutely is built around the relationship. So being able to trust each other, uh, but certainly the, the coach being trusted and the coach trusting the individual client and the rapport that they have. So I absolutely believe that the relationship is absolutely dependent on rapport and chemistry and that there's therefore the success of the coaching program and the intervention, if you like to call it that, uh, will be completely dependent on the chemistry and the rapport that's built. So we can get really close to what, making that work well and matching through technology, through matching up on, on even words that people use in their profiles that we put together, certainly around expertise and experience, that's easy to match on. But the human element of the chemistry will be developed between the coach and the coaching client in the moment. But it's an absolutely essential, we, we can't have a, an effective coaching relationship without it. And finally, I wanted to ask you, Kate, what do you get out of coaching? So as a coach myself, as a director of coaching for Cognomi, but also as someone who accesses coaching very frequently, I look at it from many different perspectives. I think what I, I get out of it when I'm coaching another individual is such a joy in seeing somebody else create an insight for themselves. So that awareness piece to see a light bulb going on in somebody else's mind for me is, is so refreshing and, and wonderful because they're showing growth uh, and awareness and understanding in that. From the awareness, then they, they take responsibility for choice. So for me, it's about seeing another individual growing and being able to take responsibility for their own development, but absolutely to continue to grow and therefore thrive. And that is wonderful to watch. If you, as a coach, you create the container for somebody else to step into that uh, and you create a safe space for them to explore what that means for them and for them to do their own thinking. It's hugely empowering for a coach to see that happen. Wonderful summary. So thank you very much for joining us today, Kate. It's been fabulous talking to you. And uh, you can find Kate at Cognomi in the UK, but she delivers online training around the world. So thank you for joining Inspired Conversations. We'll see you again. Be happy, be inspired. This, 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 this is Inspire Radio. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Maybe you would like to join us as a guest on Inspire Radio. Maybe you'd like to feature on our Inspire Radio directory. If you would and you'd like to get in touch, then simply enter your details on the contact page at inspireradio.co.uk. Remember to give our Facebook page a like as well at Inspire Radio UK. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Inspire Radio. And have the best day you possibly can. Be happy, be inspired. With feel-good music by day. 
relaxing music by night. This is Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired. <laughs> 